Urban Forum Northwest with your co-hosts Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Hey, uh, Eric, I want to thank you for the technical assistance. As I was, the computer was giving me the blues, so I really appreciate you for taking care of business right quick. Our first guest is legendary attorney, civil rights attorney, uh, Lem Howe, and uh, he was handling a lot of police cases before there was cameras and was winning quite a few of them. And he also is well known in the Democratic Party, has been a mover and a shaker at the national and local level, and uh, has been a good friend of mine and a good friend of uh, all of us who struggled in the civil rights community. So Lim has been retired for a little while, but Lim, I'd like to have you take a minute or two and just share some of your background with our listeners who are much younger than us uh, that need to know uh, what uh, the Seattle history looks like from the black hand side. So thanks. Well, Eddie, we can talk about back in 69 when we had demonstrations to get blacks in the construction industry and uh, uh, County Executive Spellman ordered that there would be a black trainee for every four journeymen on the job after the job had been closed down. Unions came back to work, and when we sent black trainees, they walked off and we went into federal court. And Judge Lindbergh ordered the unions back to work because they were violating our rights when they deprived uh, black trainees of a chance to make a living. That that was way back in 69. I wanted to give your callers and your uh, listeners a chance to know how old you are, Eddie, because uh, you were there with us back then, well, and numerous other things since then. Um, that you got Martin Luther King Jr. Way named from Empire Way, the way it was in the old days, and a lot of other good community stuff that you've done. But uh, you mentioned my ties with the Democratic Party. Yeah, I've been a precinct committee officer since about 66 with missing two two-year terms, but and I'm still now, and I announced the... Uh, Washington state delegation vote in the 1984 convention in uh, San Francisco. I was a heart delegate, and we had more heart delegates than Mondale delegates. So I got to be chair of the delegation, and I announced the vote. But And I was state president of the Young Democrats. That tells you back in 1966, 67. So that tells you some of my connection with the community for newcomers who may not know it. So Lim, I'd like to find out right now uh, if you could comment on uh, access to the uprising with the cameras now showing this uh, uh, unlawful law enforcement that's led to the deaths of quite a few people. I guess a Latino gentleman uh, got, uh, I guess, the knee treatment and died in Alameda, California recently. And just comment because it looks like the Black Lives Matter people. I got to give a shout out to uh, uh, Sakara Rimu, who is uh, uh, the, the founder of uh, uh, Washington State Black Lives Matter. And she has an article on the front page of the medium. So I want to make sure people read that as well. But uh, give us your input because you were involved with these police misconduct uh, cases before cameras, and you were successful in quite a few of them. Just uh, comment on that for a minute. Okay, uh, let me let me say the, 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 what was really upsetting was, of course, the George Floyd killing, because you see the breath being, uh, you know, squeezed out of him, and we had a very good medical examiner way back in the seventies uh, and eighties, Doctor Donald Ray, who has since retired and passed away. But then he was the one that came up with positional asphyxia. You can't, people have to breathe, and you can't prevent them from breathing with a diaphragm by putting weight on them so that they can't catch their breath. We had an early case of the Ely case, Michael Ely, here in Seattle, where that occurred. But the jury, of course, in those days found excusable or justifiable homicide. And we have several of those. What I'm happy to see, and I was wrong, I was worried that uh, uh, Garland, the new attorney general, would be like uh, Mueller and would be uh, reticent about doing anything. But he's forceful. 
He's doing an investigation both in Kentucky and in in Minnesota about the killings of blacks. So it's really good. And I don't know if you saw recently that uh, uh, those three guys uh, that killed uh, Aubrey, you remember the guy that was uh, uh, running in the street and they took their car and stopped him and shot him to death? Well, they're, yeah, they've uh, been indicted for murder, and they're also being uh, uh, charged with civil rights violation, federal civil rights violation. And, you know, you have both civil and criminal civil rights violation by the feds. So that, that these are criminal uh, uh, law violations. You remember the Rodney King case where they beat the H.E. 26 of Rodney King, and then that seamy jury found him, found the, the, the perpetrators not guilty, but then the feds came in and prosecuted them for violation of civil rights, and they were convicted. Well, that's what's happening throughout the country. So, uh, but, 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 you know, we have a lot of talk about retraining and so forth, and I don't buy this defund the police. That's not good because uh, communities need good policing, especially minority communities. What we need is recruiting. We've got to have psychological testing to these people who want to be police officers to see if they're right to be police officers. Uh, Congressman Clyburn called this before, and he said, well, training is not the answer. You've got to have people who are in the right mindset. So you need to go back to get good recruits and pay them well. So don't talk about defunding the police. We want to fund the police, but we want good police officers. And we have to get rid of all the current training officers because it's us against them mentality. You know, that hunker down, they're out there after you. We want police officers who will adopt that our job is to protect and to serve. And that comes from the top, from the mayor, the chief of police, all the way down. And the emphasis has to be on de-escalation, not escalation, de-escalation. And you, you got to get rid of the current training officers because they, they, they uh, said, you know, it's the least thing, pull a gun. You know what made me angry the other day? And, you know, at 84, I guess uh, I better watch my blood pressure. But you remember that lieutenant who was on duty in Virginia, and then he had on his uniform, for Pete's sake, his fatigue uniform. But he was still black, though. Yeah, right. And they said, stick your hands out the window. They stick their hands out the window. And this fool cop comes and sprays him with, with pepper spray. They should hang his behind. I, I can't tell you how angry that I I am about that. Well, Eddie. Because you're, you, you're, you're a naval, a Navy, a admiral. to be Navy and black. Hell, I was a naval officer. And if that happened to me, I would be highly uh, uh, ticked off. I didn't yeah. use the P word, Ed. I know. I know. Eric is on guard for you, man, because <laughs> <laughs> we know you get you get emotional. But uh, I have to I, say I, that uh, I was really way, pleased with. Eddie, uh, I got to tell you, those two prosecutors in the Floyd case. I watched the whole, practically the whole trial. They were outstanding. And they were, it was the understatement all the way. And they remained calm and reasonable. I would have gotten so excited. I, I would have asked that training officer. So you would teach as a training officer that when a man can't breathe, you should put your both knees on his back for nine minutes and 29 seconds. Is that what you would teach in training? That's why we have to get rid of the old training officers. Because a lot of them are nothing but a bunch of racists. And you've got to get new training officers, and the emphasis has to be on de-escalation. But, Eddie, you were talking to me the other day about Rudy Giuliani. And, uh, I, I, you know what I was worried about with Garland? I thought they didn't want to say this is a banana republic, so you can't go after your, the previous opposition because you defeated them in an election. And I was worried that he would uh, uh, be timid about it. 
Well, these federal prosecutors, when they uh, took the computers and uh, cell phones and whatnot from Rudy Giuliani's home and his office, had been seeking to do that before. But they, the AG's department, the Attorney General, the Justice Department had a rule that within 60 days of an election, you didn't want to try to do anything that would affect the election. But then they came back after the election to try to get the warrant. And the, and the people, uh, Trump's people said no. But I don't realize, I don't know if people realize that in order to obtain a search warrant, you have to convince a judge that there's sufficient reason to believe a crime was committed and the search would turn up evidence of the crime. You know, that, that is a high standard to make. You have to persuade uh, a dispassionate, objective judge that, look, there was a crime committed. We believe that this individual uh, uh, committed it. So now he's the target. And let me tell you, this is, this is uh, uh, when, and you wonder, he's done so many wrong things, you wonder what this is for. This is for uh, the communications between him and the Euro uh, Ukrainian officials, including uh, the former president of the Ukraine. You remember he also was uh, uh, lobbying the uh, uh, Trump administration to get rid of the Ukrainian ambassador that we had in the Ukraine, Mary Yovanovitch. You remember the trial, the first, the first impeachment trial of Trump. You remember all the evidence that came out where they said, "Well, talk to, uh, talk to Rudy. He's our man over there," and they were trying to get rid of this U.S. ambassador to yes. the Ukraine, Ms. Yovanovitch. Yes. And uh, uh, because she was, she wasn't play. She was a career diplomat and wasn't playing their stupid game, where Trump withheld funds that were needed for the defense of the Ukraine uh, because they were trying to get uh, dirt on Biden. And I must say that Trump was smart. He knew that practically the only Democrat that could beat him was Biden. And by the way, wasn't Biden fantastic last night? He had a I conversation so. with us. He well, was, let me see if, uh, has uh, Representative Jesse Johnson joined us, Eric? Yes, I'm here. Okay, I just want to let you know that you're, you're on right now with uh, legendary civil rights attorney, Lambard Howell. Uh, you'll, you'll probably read about him in the history books real soon. Lem, uh, Representative Jesse Johnson is, I think, probably our youngest state representative, but he's outstanding. Has done a lot of stuff to deal with the issues you raised with police reform. So we're gonna go to Jesse now, Lim. Thank you for your time today. We'll have you back on soon so you can keep examining the legislation and the conduct by law enforcement officers across the country. So thank you much, Lim. How? Okay. Good wishes to you all. Bye. Okay. All right. Okay, Representative Jesse Johnson. Uh, uh, once again, you had a very successful uh, session. And uh, I know that uh, Lem Howe was a preeminent uh, civil rights attorney and dealt with a lot of uh, police misconduct cases before they had cameras back in the 50s and 60s and the 70s. So uh, you had sponsored a couple of pieces of legislation. Uh, you are from Federal Way, the 30th Legislative District. And is this your second term, sir? So it is my uh, second term, but it's, uh, I finished up the, the first term as an appointed member or another representative. So it's really my second session. Uh, and uh, you uh, sponsored some legislation that dealt with a lot of the issues that, that people have really been talking about in the black and brown community, and that's uh, the police misconduct. Uh, could you share with our listeners uh, some of the legislation that you sponsored and what, what you were able to get passed? Absolutely. So uh, I was able to sponsor House Bill 1054 which was around police tactics and we now have a baseline standard for what's acceptable uh and this bill is going to be banning chokeholds neck restraints and no-knock warrants uh it'll also restrict the use of tear gas uh, during protests and vehicular pursuits and take some steps to demilitarize police uh removing equipment like armed vehicles and helicopters and uh, drones in our communities that should not be there and, and, and i think are a little excessive uh, I was able to also sponsor House Bill 1310, which 
creates a uniform statewide standard on use of force and will prioritize de-escalation using less lethal alternatives and narrowing the scope of deadly force to only when there's an imminent threat based on a reasonable standard. So we will now have a statewide standard that goes beyond Graham v. Connor, which in, in, in the country um, is the uniform standard for police departments, but says that op- officers can use deadly force by any means necessary when there's a good faith, um, reasonable or objective standard for them uh, to believe that there's deadly force um, needed. So we are going beyond what the country has set out, and, and I think we're one of the strongest uh, you know, packages of, of police reform that passed this, this entire session in the country. And that's how I'll send. I want to turn to my co-host Hayward Evans and ask if he has any questions or comments for you. Uh, Representative Johnson, it's good having you here today. What what happened to House Bill 1140, the uh, uh, youth uh, legal rights? Did that get out? That passed as well. Uh, we were able to to get that passed. It was actually the first bill I passed this year, and I believe the governor is signing it next week. And, and that bill will um, mandate legal representation for youth that are under 18 years old when they're questioned or interrogated by police. Uh, so, so that's obviously very important for protecting their constitutional right to consultation. Um, and, and obviously we know the history of Central Park Five and, and other young folks that have, uh, you know, been questioned and led to do false, um, you know, self-incrimination uh, falsely and falsely accuse themselves um, when they're, you know, not without an attorney. So this is going to be very important for, for our young people as well. Well, I know, I know uh, young people have always been near and dear to your heart. You know, the Federal Way School District, uh, the bill that you got in appropriations, did that one come out? It did not, unfortunately. So that was going to um, increase uh, pay for um, teachers in Federal Way School District. We did, however, get a budget proviso passed that, uh, will start a, a pre-apprenticeship trade school program at Federal Way High School, which is my alma mater, uh, next fall. So we got the funding for that, which is which is really exciting for Federal Way. Well, you know the uh, 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 MLK Gandhi empowerment people are going to be coming to you very soon. <laughs> He's on the advisory committee, Hayward. Oh, yeah, exactly. Well, for funding, but uh, okay. Again, uh, the uh, the police tactics that the bill that passed. When does that go? When is that implemented? So as long as the governor signs it, which I'm, I'm told he will, and, and we're looking forward to him signing all the police reform bills, but that'll go into effect on uh, July 30th of this year. So um, we will have the uniform standard police tactics across the state um, starting in July. That's another, uh, how will they conduct the bill signs? You know, usually, you know, the legislator and their constituents or the interest group this uh, supporting the legislation, you know, crowd around Jay Inslee and he signs and grins. Uh, with this uh, COVID-19 protocol, will there be virtual signings now? How will that work? Or will just be a, a, a smaller number of people attending? So there will be virtual signings. Um, I am being told that the police reform bills will all be signed in person, uh, socially distanced, of course. Um, they're at the capital steps, and so we're just waiting to see what day that'll be because we wanted to give the opportunity for families um, and community to witness that in person if they'd like. And so uh, all the police reform bills, including the bill from Representative Intamin to establish independent investigations and the decertification bill from Senator Peterson, but those priority bills will all be signed together at once. Okay, and so... Uh... And you're inviting the families, and is that like a public gathering or what? Yes, it should be a public gathering, and uh, it'll be outside, socially distanced, and uh, I think I think that's going to be great, right there, right there at the state capitol. Well, usually when they come down to our bills, they have the signings at eight o'clock in the morning, and also the hearings too. <laughs> so I was just wondering if it would be uh, at a convenient time or or whenever we can get to it, I guess. Yes, I'll definitely keep you up to date on that. Uh, I will make sure to advocate for a time that is, is suitable for folks to get down there. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, uh, other thing, we noticed that this year, we know your plate was full and you were very successful, uh, uh, but there was no uh, attempt to uh, uh, reinstate affirmative action in the state. And a group of people, uh, primarily led by attorney Jesse Weinberry, had been working with the governor's office to get an executive order. 
And the, the more we studied this thing, we found out that I-200 didn't really kill affirmative action. The governor's directive 9801, uh, which uh, went out to all colleges, universities, towns, cities, uh, municipalities, ports, uh, that is what uh, uh, closed the door on minority, especially black participation. Uh, so uh, we're people are now saying that uh, if Governor Inslee, rather than executive, he just re rescinds uh, uh, Governor's Directive 9801, because it's been there for 23 years. And uh, a lot of people have examined it closely. And that would really reinstate affirmative action if the governor just would rescind uh, that uh, uh, governor's uh, directive 9801, what I'll do is I'll make sure that you, you get a copy of it so you can see it for yourself. I don't like, you know, putting stuff out there without showing people uh, exactly what happened. But this uh, directive uh, was all inclusive because uh, I-200 did not cover some institutions, but the governor's directive included all colleges, universities, cities, towns, municipalities, poor commissioners. It was far reaching and it's been in effect for 23 years. So I was hoping that that's something that's really simple. Uh, you know, you have to reinvent the wheel, just rescind something that was in put in place 23 years ago. So I just wanted to run that past you as well. I'd like to have your thoughts on that. That's a great question. Uh, I, I know that, you know, now that we have a strong black members caucus, that this is something we will definitely be addressing. Uh, Representative David Hackney in the 11th district has been a big advocate for, um, you know, putting affirmative action back in place. I think we do need a interim a convening of different stakeholders that have been in talks about this, this idea for a while and see where we can take it. Because I don't think we, you know, I think economically we can't wait. You know, it's so urgent to get this in place for our community. So, um, you know, this this year was obviously a big year for police reform and economic recovery from the pandemic. But as we move forward, this is this is probably the most important bill. And I think now having uh, different players in the White House, a different administration, uh, you know, I'm thinking that we need to move like right away because, you know, uh, things change every two years in the House and in the Senate. And while we have uh, uh, control of both, although we got some Joe Manchins running around, it's just a shame, but uh, I hope we do a lot better in 2022 so that, you know, the president could at least advance his agenda. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you've served on the Federal Way City Council and are you, are you, you were the youngest in the legislature last year, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, that's so yeah, excellent role model. And then another thing is you also uh, worked at my alma mater at Garfield, right? That's right. I did as a high school career and college counselor there at Garfield. Okay. Well, I tell you what, I, uh, I want you to hang on for a minute. We're going to take a break, but I want you to hang on with us. We're having uh, Re Representative Karen Bass come on uh, right after the break. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at PortSeattle. Org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination. 
and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. Okay, Hayward Evans and Eddie Ryback at Urban Forum Northwest. Uh, we still have State Representative Jesse Johnson on hold. We've been joined by Representative Karen Bass. Is she on the line? I am. Representative Bass, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? All right. I was so proud of what you getting down last night on MSNBC. But uh, <laughs> before we get started, I wish there's a young man, uh, one of the youngest members of the state legislature in Washington State. His name is State Representative Jesse Johnson. And he just passed a police reform bill for Washington State. And I know you're working with that bipartisan group now at the national level to achieve the same thing. His name is Representative Jesse Johnson. I want to just take one minute. And Jesse Johnson, would you tell her about the legislation you just passed? Well, thank you so much, Betty, and, and pleasure to meet you, uh, Karen. I really appreciate the work you're doing at the national level. So our bill here in Washington State, I had a couple bills, but... One was around police tactics, and we effectively banned chokeholds, neck restraints, no-knock warrants, tear gas, and started the process of demilitarizing police, which I think is very important because we see we saw last summer with the excessive military equipment used during protests on um, peaceful protesters. And we also established a statewide uniform standard around use of force where we prioritized de-escalation, less lethal alternatives, and narrowed the scope of deadly force so officers are not um, using deadly force based on the Graham v. Connor standard, but um, our own standard that is set by community. And I just want to thank all the families that worked with me on these bills. They really, uh, we've had a number of families from the family members of Manny Ellis, who was shot and killed in Tacoma last year, to Charlena Lyles, to um, Stone Child Chief Stick, and so many different members. And they turned their pain into purpose and led the way last summer after the killings of so many unarmed uh, black and brown members of our community. And and really led the way with these bills with me alongside in partnership. So I just want to thank the okay. families for their work. Okay, thank you, Representative Johnson. We appreciate that. Now we're going to go to Representative Karen Bass out of California, and she's working on similar legislation or an effort that's bipartisan. So uh, Representative Bass, we really would like to hear that. And you know, like I said, you really did an outstanding job on MSNBC last night after the president's address. Well, thank you so much, but please, the representative, congratulations for what you're doing. And Eddie, would you do me a favor and please share my email with him because I want to see those bills. You are addressing right. things that we would love to address here in D.C. Now, part of what you talked about is in the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, and that is the militarization uh, issue and really narrowing the type of equipment that um, – you know, that police departments can get from the federal government. Uh, and so, but the de-escalation, everything that you just said, I would just love to see that language, but congratulations. You know, one of the things that we're all doing because of the torture and murder of George Floyd and the movement that ensued after every state in the country, countries around the world, I want you to know that every country on the continent of Africa expressed their horror at what happened here on our streets. And you know that if it happened on any of their countries, we would be calling it a massive human rights abuse. We'd be saying, if you don't put that person in jail, then we're going to sanction you. We need to begin to look at our policing issues from the vantage point of human rights as well. And so congratulations for what you do. What has happened is that movement has gone across the nation and states and counties and cities are all changing the law. The federal government needs to step up and also join you. And I am hoping that we will be able to do that when we put the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act on President Biden's desk. And uh, what other legislation are priorities right now for the Congressional Black Caucus overall? Well, we are still dealing with COVID, of course, and the health and the economic 
uh, impacts. And so we put billions of dollars into vaccines, but now we're following up to make sure that the vaccines actually hit our community. You know, we commissioned the poll and we found out that it is not true that the majority of black folks are hesitant and don't want the vaccine. My concern about that is, is that that was just telling people from other communities to come take our vaccines. We are not hesitant. What our problem has been has been the lack of access, because just putting things online does not mean there is universal access. And that has been a major problem. The other problem has been driving up and getting vaccines. Well, if you don't have a car, how are you supposed to get it? So things are getting a little better because now vaccines, we have much, much, much larger supply. But our poll said that 67% of black folk wanted the vaccine. So our argument is if you focus on the people that want it, guess what? They're either related to or friends with people that are hesitant. And I'm sure everybody that's listening to me, those of you who have had the vaccine, and I hope it's everybody that's listening to me, I'm sure it happened with you just like it happened with me. When my friends and family saw me getting it, then they jumped in and got it as well. And so that's the other big issue. And then, of course, voting rights. The way voting rights have been restricted around the country, that is very high up on our agenda. And the John Lewis Voting Rights Act needs to be passed out of Congress and put on President Biden's desk as soon as possible to counter. Because if we do it federally, then we preempt what is happening in these individual states where they are trying to essentially block people, restrict people from voting. Well, you know, I said before that it would be uh, very difficult, maybe it be a black in the military in Germany or South Korea or Japan or in the Middle East and have someone come up to me and say, what are you fighting for? You can't even vote in your own country, you know, or you need to exactly. go, you need to deal, go back home and fight those domestic terrorists that tried to overthrow the government on January 6th. So <laughs> we have a lot of fights right here, you know, got, trying to dis, uh, suppress our vote and then uh, turning these uh, white supremacists loose on people. So every, you know, and even in this state, you know, every other day there's a new hate crime against the Asian or against someone else. And uh, so we've been speaking out against it. And I know in California, uh, there, I guess there's been a few instances down there as well. Absolutely, that's right. All of us need together, need to come together. You know, our issues are the same, whether you're talking about black folks, Latinos, Native Americans, um, Asians. And so when one of us is attacked, all of us need to stand arm in arm against that. I want to see if my co-host Hayward Evans has a question or comment for you, Representative Bass. Oh, Representative Bass, I'm so glad you're here today with us. I'm, I'm going to just switch it just a little bit. What do you think about this whole, the uh, Justice Department going after Giuliani? <laughs> I hope they put him under the jail. <laughs> I absolutely do. I mean, and not just Giuliani. I mean, there's a long list of characters and criminals from the Trump administration that really need to be prosecuted. But you know what? Those two sisters, that sister from New York and the sister from Georgia, I don't know. I think that they're going to take care of Trump and his cronies. Well, you know, you were on the Judiciary Committee and uh, you did the First Step Act and started this whole police reform. So we're so proud of you out here. You've done great things for everybody oh, in the nation. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm still on judiciary and still working on many other bills related to criminal justice reform as well. Excellent. Well, there's one other thing that uh, I don't know, uh, a rumor, I don't know what, what it is, but uh, there's a, a rumor that you're gonna be the next Senator from California. <laughs> well, as of right now, there is not a vacancy. <laughs> yeah, but I think people are anticipating uh, early retirement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't really know. Or am I, I just desiring things that are not true? Yeah. yeah, no, that is not true. Okay, and uh, and and what what are what are the top priorities for the caucus for the next? I know uh, fighting this voter suppression legislation. And uh, what would you advise regular uh, registered voters uh, who have an interest in seeing fairness and equity in the process? What can individuals do to ensure that uh, there is equity and fairness? 
Well, individuals can become active with their legislators. So even though both of our states are very liberal and we don't have some of the problems that exist in some of the other states, we still have to be very involved. Even with our liberal legislators, it's important to stay in touch with them, to register your voice, to make sure that they understand. You know, kind of our our American culture is we vote for people and then that's it. (laughs) We vote for them, and then that's it. And I think we need to change that behavior and understand that when we elect people to office, we still should stay connected. We still should make our voices heard and our demands clear. Uh, The other issue, too, is uh, the economic confusion into the black business community and black communities itself. We know home ownership is at all-time low. A lot of this has to do, especially, now you say we have a liberal state in Washington State, Blacks have not done over one half of 1% of the state's business in 23 years. And then we lost the entire area called the central area because of this economic apartheid. And I was just wondering uh, what can be done at the, at the national level? Cause you know, the department of transportation, they put, put a lot of money in. What happens is they always have a majority minority, uh, minority subcontracting opportunity, which you're under some person's foot that don't like the program anyway. Matter of fact, we had one project in Seattle called done by the Tunnel Partners. Four black construction companies went out of business, and these guys had a reputation, Tudor Perini and Dragados. And uh, these folks have not received anything, and we're hoping that we can get the Secretary Buttigieg and some others, and we know that our, our finally got a member of the Congressional Black Caucus, Marilyn Strickland, is on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. And we want to look at some of these practices that over the last few years, especially the last four, when there was no enforcement, to see what can be done to make these people whole again. I don't know if that's possible, but what do you think about uh, any kind of approach with DOT and other agencies to compensate or at least open the doors a little wider for our businesses? As long as we're under a majority firms, we never do well. There's been no growth in this state from that arrangement in 45 years. Well, first of all, one of the things that, that I think that you should do, one of the first things is is with your representative, Marilyn Strickland, you should ask for a Zoom meeting with the secretary. I would do that right away. And uh, I think he's very open and accessible, and I think it would be a good thing to do. Okay, we got the Washington State Civil Rights Coalition can be hosting that immediately, and that's some very good information to have. And uh, in terms of... of uh, what is happening the rest of the, you guys are, are the, is there any major bills that are being held up? Is there anything that a regular citizen can do to support uh, the endeavors of the members of the Congressional Black Caucus and legislation? I know that I guess the biggest thing is fighting the voter suppression legislation, but what, what is the next priority? Yes, I mean, that that is definitely number one. And then, you know, again, uh, number two would be, uh, would be policing, absolutely. And anything that you guys can do. I mean, you can always call. I know you have two Democratic senators, but your folks can call into Senator McConnell. You can call Tim Scott. And Tim Scott has been doing well. Encourage him to continue to do well. You can call um, Lindsey Graham and talk about how important it is for the country. People call my office all the time from all around the country, and you guys can absolutely do that as well. And I certainly do appreciate that. Well, I'm going to have to leave you now. Okay. Okay, then. And we certainly do appreciate uh, your time. There was another famous state representative we have that uh, just led a a charge uh, a couple of years ago. It was a SOIC. You know, we had the OICs until Ronald Reagan defunded all the manpower programs. And Mm -hmm. she, uh, the six-story building has been returned to the stewardship of the black community. So her name is Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos. Wanted to know who she was as well. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Representative Bass, and I'll make sure that uh, State Representative Jesse Johnson gets uh, uh, you the copy of those two bills that they passed in in the legislature in Washington State dealing with police reform. Thank you. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing them, and we'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. 
The port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill in the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150, here to uplift your day. All right, Haywood Evans and Eddie Rye back at Urban Forum Northwest with our next guest, the State Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos, the State Representative that was responsible for sponsoring legislation that brought the six-story building on 22nd and Jackson back under Black Stewardship. I'm talking about the Central District Community Preservation and Development Authority, also known as the Reverend Dr. Samuel Barry McKinney Center for Community and Economic Development. And Representative Santos, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And thank you for splitting your time with us in the other meeting you're on right now. So uh, we just yeah. wanted to comment, first of all, on this past session that ended Sunday, uh, some of the high points, some of the low points, and some of your successes. Well, thank you, uh, Eddie and Hayward. Thank you for inviting me to join you again today. Um, I think uh, there are many, many things uh, to be grateful for, one of which is uh, to be back uh, in community. This is where I actually thrive, and um, my work in Olympia is really focused on making sure that our voices are well represented um, at the policymaking tables. When we talk about some of the high points, I do want to point out that um, in 23 years of service uh, in the legislature, I have never seen such an incredible budget. Now, that could not have happened without, and I want to just say this because we acknowledge this in our House Democratic Caucus, we could not have done this without black women in Georgia. Uh, we would not have had the change that was necessary in Congress that would allow us to have the federal largesse that supported an historic budget in uh, Washington state. So I need to start with that. I think the other thing that's very important to acknowledge is despite the significant challenges of meeting uh, in a virtual space, um, I fear that I have uh, crossed the line somewhere, uh, Eddie and Hayward, and I'm no longer one of the younger chickens uh, in the uh, coop uh, down there, also known as the legislature. Um, and so for many of us trying to move towards an online platform and actually to navigate multiple uh, online platforms simultaneous was very, very challenging. And yet, at the same time, we managed to do so in the legislative session on time and with very, very significant um, legislation that was adopted. Uh, I understand that you had my colleague, uh, Representative Jesse Johnson, on earlier, so I won't go over um, the historic legislative wins around police accountability that could not have happened without activists in the community engaging and um, making their, um, their voices heard. 
Um, that certainly is a very, very high point. I think some of the other high points um, that I would want to touch on are um, some of the uh, transformative policies that we adopted in education, um, advancing the work of the Educational Opportunity Gap Oversight and Accountability Committee so that we get in a more systemic fashion the kind of diversity, inclusion, and equity training um, for our administrators, for our teachers, as well as for our school board leaders, so that students who are uh, sitting in our classrooms today, whom we know are the majority uh, students of color, um, are receiving their constitutionally uh, endowed positive right to a um, quality education. Um, we passed legislation that requires certain training of administrators and teachers uh, when they are seeking recertification. We passed legislation that required training um, uh, provided by the school districts and by um, the boards of directors for themselves. Um, we also um, addressed issues that um, are very meaningful um, even though some people may scoff at the importance of it. Uh, things like uh, prohibiting schools and school districts from adopting native um, names and images as uh, team names for mascots or school names without the permission of a neighboring tribe. Um, that we know, we heard from so many students about the imagery and how they end up feeling when they walk into a school and they see a, um, uh, uh, a grotesque uh, image of what is supposed to be a native uh, mascot or when they go to sporting events and they hear the opponents from the other side shouting, kill the Indians or kill the warriors, it's sort of the same um, uh, thought uh, sentiment that led to the uh, removal of the name of the Washington uh, Redskins, um, that there is a, a trauma that is associated to that if you are Native American. We also um, made great strides, um, as you may have followed, in establishing uh, Juneteenth as a state-recognized holiday which goes beyond just a state holiday where, you know, it's any other day other than it's recognized by the state. In this case, Juneteenth will be the kind of holiday where people are able to uh, take the day off uh, with pay. I think that's a very significant acknowledgement about um, uh, our year of racial justice and racial uh, awareness. Um, I couldn't uh, also uh, not mention the climate commitment, uh, which I'm very happy to say went uh, um, through some very significant last-minute uh, adjustments such that it's not um, a climate commitment to just um, environmental values, but it is recognizing that environmentalism um, goes hand-in-hand hand, uh, with moving towards racial justice, and so that those two things move together uh, at the same pace and at the same place. I do, I will end with this and say um, that I was very pleased to report to the board of the Central District Community Preservation and Development Authority uh, that uh, we were able to pass a bill that was important to them, uh, that clarified their legal status as a state entity, or in this case, it's an instrumentality of the state. Uh, we were also able to secure an additional $1 million in the capital budget, as well as close to half a million dollars in operating funds for uh, the CDCPDA. I think that those are all very important. And, oh, and I almost forgot my bill. If I could, um, I will also just say... Um, I had a bill um, that uh, aimed at endowing the Office of Minority and Women Business Enterprises with additional powers uh, to um, uh, root out um, uh, uh, the, the kinds of scams that occur when you have front companies 
posing as minority-owned businesses or women-owned businesses in order to gain uh, access to uh, a capital public projects. Um, that did pass along with the uh, authority and directive to OMWBE to work with each state agency so that they have the technical assistance to know how to expand opportunities for women and minority business enterprises. So I think we've done a lot, and I'm very proud of uh, uh, being associated with this legislative session. Well, that, that's great to hear the progress that was made. Uh, there's one item that still needs to be resolved, and uh, there's been talk, uh, and there was a meeting, been ongoing meetings with the governor's office about an executive order because of I-200. It turns out that I-200 did not kill affirmative action across the board, but uh, Governor's Directive 9801 uh, killed affirmative action, and people are coming to the conclusion that if the governor just would rescind 9801, that would open the door for participation without having to go through any legislative changes, any executive orders, or anything else. So uh, I, I don't know if if you are aware of that directive and what, what is what are you what would you recommend that the governor do with that? Well, I I I, I thank you for bringing those uh, directives to my attention. Uh, clearly, I was. Um, uh, aware of some of that. Um, I will also note that it was, um, I would have been a legislator, uh, first year legislator when uh, those directors came into play um, and not understanding perhaps the full impact of those directives. But if I were to advise the governor today, I would certainly say there's no reason to have uh, that directive on the books, uh, especially since, as it's been described to me, um, the director of, uh, actually overreaches uh, the letter of the initiative. And so we don't need to have um, a, uh, an executive branch uh, directive going beyond the pale of the law. And that's an important first step. Um, I would say, though, that we still need to have legislative action uh, to clarify what uh, are the rules. An example is, as you know, with my bill on OMWBE, one of the facts, uh, the components of it that was taken out uh, would have reduced the threshold for participation on um, alternative works uh, programs and small works rosters. That's statutory. That in some ways doesn't have anything to do specifically with OMWBE, um, or uh, with um, the opportunities for contracts for um, uh, minority uh, businesses or women-owned businesses, except that at a threshold that is uh, left at a certain level, it automatically excludes some of those newer entrants into the business. So um, I would say we still need to have statutory work, but I think uh, a rescission of a, a directive that overreaches is an important and large first step. Well, we're out of time, Representative Santos. I really do, I do appreciate your time. You're working on Olympia. We will have you on so you can keep our listeners updated with your good work. So thank you very much. Thank you. Always good to be with both of you. Have a good okay. afternoon. Okay, thank you now for breaking the wind, taking the call. All right, I uh, want to thank uh, uh, the Port of Seattle's Minority uh, Diversity Contracting Office, me and Rice, uh, City of Seattle's Purchase and Construction Services Office, Liz Alzier, uh, Leslie Jones and Sound Transit, uh, Concourse Sensations with Dave Fukuhara, SeaTac uh, Bar Group LLC, Jerry Woodson and Rod O'Neill, and Stephanie Ogle keeps our technology straight. And Eric, I want to thank you very much for your magic you work at times. So thank you very much. Hayward, I will talk to you later. Mm -hmm.